You're listening to Blackpool Church Podcast. Join us for our Sunday gatherings to make friends, explore faith and encounter God. Visit our website, blackpool.church. This is the Talk Archive. Brilliant. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been uh, looking at this series called Stand Firm, which is on a passage from Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about the armour of God. It's like these different characteristics which God gives to his people, and uh, they're things that we can put on. And so today we're coming to the last item of armour in our series, which is the helmet of salvation. And now the keen-eyed or eared amongst you might say, hold on a second... There's the sword of the spirit still to come. Or even the keener-eyed might say that there's like two more things to come. There's the sword of the spirit and then there's also prayer. But I think there's a distinction actually in the passage between these different bits. You're right in a sense. Uh, But we don't put on, for instance, the sandals that we spoke about to kick people with, do we? Or the breastplate to sort of chest bump people or the helmet to head bump people with like all of the bits that we've looked at so far including today are about protection Uh, but the two that we're going forward to look at um, the sword of the spirit and also prayer I think are weapons and so we are coming this week to think about the last item of protection and we're thinking particularly about what it means to be saved the key word we're looking at is salvation and the topic that I'd like to speak about is we need help That's the topic I'd like to speak about. So let's read from Ephesians 6 again, 10 to 17. I'll read it for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I have a friend called Andy, as all of you do now as well. Um, But... uh, my friend called Andy has these very, very vivid dreams and all sorts of things have happened in real life because of his vivid dreams. So he's called the fire service in the night, for instance, because he had a dream about a fire. He has uh, wandered around the house, he's shouted, he's done all sorts of pretty crazy things. And uh, he was telling me the other day about one particularly problematic dream that he had. And in this dream, he was with his wife, Carol, and they were in America walking through this desert plain. 
and they were following some train tracks running along. And uh, as it happens in dreams often, the scene suddenly switched and they weren't walking alongside by the train tracks. Instead, they were tied to the tracks. Right. It's a classic kind of movie moment, isn't it? And uh, they started to figure this out and then they heard like a rumbling noise and uh, started to wonder what that was and worry about it a little bit and they were struggling and struggling and the rumbling got louder and they realised that there was a train coming and they were tied to the tracks and so they struggled and struggled and Andy managed to get himself free but he couldn't get Carol free in the dream and so he was like wrenching and wrenching at this and the train was getting closer and closer and so eventually he decided with every ounce of strength in his body he would grab his wife and hurl her free from the tracks. Okay, and the train flew past. But the problem was, of course, that this scene wasn't just being played out in Andy's dream, it was also being played out in Carol and Andy's bedroom. And so Carol, unfortunately, was enjoying a very normal, peaceful night's sleep. When she was woken up by Andy with every ounce of strength in his body, hurling her across the room, right? And he's a big guy and she's not very big. And thankfully, Carol was fine. I think she now wears a helmet to bed and things like that. But other than that, she's fine. But I I just love Andy for it, actually. Because in his heart, like whether it's real or not, in his heart, Andy is a hero. He's somebody who wants to rescue people. And whatever it is that's going to face them, Andy's going to do what needs to be done in order to rescue And this week, we're thinking a little bit about what it means for us to be in need of rescue and what it means for for us to need salvation. But as we start off, I suspect that there might be a temptation for us to think that surely any danger that we face, whatever that might be, can't, can't really be like real, real danger, can it? Surely it must be a bit like uh, Andy's sort of dream danger. The only danger might be to get a bit too carried away about all of this stuff and end up inadvertently throwing somebody across the room or something like that. Surely there isn't any real danger. We all live in a relatively safe country with relatively safe places to live or to eat or whatever it might be. And what's more, if I'm honest, then even if there was some danger, I would much rather be the person rescuing than the person being rescued. I I, want to be Andy in the story in a way, setting my wife free from the train tracks rather than being hurled across the bedroom, if I'm honest. You know, you might think, look, I I give to charity, I get my kids dressed, I pay my taxes, I, I tell people where the post office is, I'm fine. Uh, but if you need anything, let me know. Happy to help out. But I don't think I'm in need of any rescuing. I don't think I'd want that either. And so what I want to do is to spend a little bit of time firstly thinking about why might we, why might we need this? Why might we need salvation? And then to think, even why might we want this? Why might we want it? So the first question, why might we need saving? Words, I think, in general, have an incredible power often, not just to communicate meaning, but also to communicate a feeling. And so, for instance, some words feel very formal and some words feel very informal, even though they mean the same thing. So you could like throw on a jacket 
or you could don an outer garment or something like that, right? It, it means the same thing, but the feeling behind the words is different. You could get a job or you could take up employment and that would feel serious and important and this one might not. The words carry different feelings. Equally, some words have different feelings depending on the context. If a friend said to you, look, I just can't get through this and you were sat with them at a funeral or something, that would mean one thing, it would feel like one thing. But if you were at a pie-eating contest and they said, I just can't get through this, it would feel quite different, that whole conversation. And one word that I think has picked up a lot of feeling outside its meaning is the word judgment. It's a, it's a thing that as we start to think about what it means for God to save us, to bring about salvation, I think is a key word. We need saving from judgment. But as we hear that word immediately, there are all these connotations of what it might mean, a, a feeling which is overwhelmingly negative. But it's strange because surely we can't really have justice without judgment. But justice is a wonderful thing that everybody has this feeling of positivity towards. When we see terrible things happen in our town or in the world, something within us cries out for justice. We want to see the right thing happen and we feel good when we see justice happen. It's why Peter writes about Jesus in 1 Peter 4, 5, that he is ready to judge the living and the dead. It's because Jesus is interested in justice and we can't have justice without judgment. But the problem is, if Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead, well then that's probably going to include me, isn't it? I'm going to be either living or dead, last time I checked. And so as I realise that I might be in need of judgment, I start to work on strategies of how I might avoid this. The first thing for me that I try is, is comparison. That might be my initial strategy. Maybe if I'm only as bad as somebody else around me, then that'll all be fine. Maybe even if I'm slightly better than the person next to me, you can have a look at the person next to you. They're probably slightly worse than you, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Having a little look at it, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and so I compare myself to people around me. Surely it would be harsh of Jesus to judge me unfavorably when I'm basically just as good or bad as anybody else around me. But I don't think that's how justice works. We don't uh, open up prison cells just because the one next door did something slightly worse. Instead, every person is accountable for the things that they do and the things that they do alone. So the second uh, approach I might take, the second strategy might be negotiation. Try comparison, that's not going to work. I'll try negotiation. And what I might say is, I'm fine, fair enough, I've done some things that are wrong, maybe they need to be judged, but remember, I've also done plenty of good things. Surely it would be totally unfair of Jesus to judge me harshly if I've also contributed so much good to the table. But again, I don't think that's how justice works. We don't, uh, we don't let a robber off as long as they give to charity. If people are particularly moral, we don't say that they're allowed to do whatever they want and the law doesn't affect them. Each action is judged fairly in a just society. The third thing that I might try is distraction. It wasn't my fault, mum. Nick made me do it. 
There were other circumstances involved. I'm a product of my own environment. But again, just like doing good, having evil done to me, doesn't diminish the things that I need to be held responsible for, as painful as that might be. And so the last trick in my arsenal that I try at least would be minimization. I say, well, it probably wasn't that bad though, was it? Anything I've done can't have been that bad, surely. And again, I think there is some truth in that, but Jesus sets very high standards in my experience. And he's more interested in our heart, actually, than the actions themselves. Let me give you an example of it from Matthew 5. Jesus is speaking and he says, You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus takes the standard that's very normal and understandable and fair and a relatively low bar and he just absolutely rockets it. He says, no, murder, that's not enough. This is even about anger. This is something that's happening inside of each of us. The standard is higher, it's harder, it's too much. And so in Romans 3, Paul writes and he says, no one is righteous, not even one. We all fall short of the glory of God. No matter what schemes we might come up with, comparison or negotiation or distraction, try it all. It's not going to be, it's not going to be enough. And so the only thing that we're left with, I think, is mercy. That's our only option, is mercy. Jesus' brother, James, once uh, said this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment, he says. And so the helmet of salvation, this idea that we're thinking about today, is basically the good news that Jesus prefers mercy over judgment. That anything that we might be judged against, we have no strategies to work with. We can't compare or or negotiate or anything like that. The only thing that we have left is to go to Jesus and say, Lord, would you be merciful to me? It's why I think that we need help. It's why we need salvation. But the good news is it's on offer. Uh, But as I said earlier, salvation, I think, isn't just something we need. It's also something that we might want. Why would that be? In the book of Exodus, uh, there's one of the greatest stories in the whole Bible. I think one of the greatest stories ever. And uh, Nick and I came home yesterday from the gym Uh, to discover some of our friends in our front room watching The Prince of Egypt, which tells the story of this passage from Exodus. I think it's a sort of occupational hazard of living in a vicarage, I guess. And uh, in the story, God's people have been set free from slavery in Egypt. And uh, there's been some plagues. And then Pharaoh realises that this could be a problem with the people gone. The pyramid building has you know, got behind or whatever it is. I don't know why you build pyramids or whatever, but that's got behind, I'm assuming. And so he changes his mind and he sends the whole army out to capture these people who they've released. 
And on the run from this army, the people of God are, are like desperate and they reach a point where behind them is this army hoping to take them back into slavery and then in front of them is a sea just stretching out for mile upon mile upon mile. And Moses, the leader of their people, in just in desperation and faith, he stretches out his hand with his staff and God parts the waters of the sea so that the people can go through on dry ground and the sea closes in and the Egyptian army are swamped. But then what doesn't happen at that point in the story is that the people just die of starvation in a desert on the other side of the sea. That doesn't happen. That would not be a good end to a kid's TV show either. Uh, Rather, what God does is he promises them a land for them to have and they take inheritance of that land. It's described as a land flowing with milk and honey. Basically think crunchy nut cornflakes and you're pretty much there. And God is fulfilling a promise that he has made to his people. That not only would they be rescued when they need it, but also he would give them a land for them. It's like he's taking them from disaster to destiny not just removing the disaster, but giving them something better than they possibly could have hoped for. And so when Paul picks up this thread of salvation in this passage and talks about the helmet of salvation, he's not just talking about safety. It's not like the bubble wrap of salvation or something like that. He's not just saying that there's something bad and and this will protect you from it and then it'll all be neutral. Instead, he's saying, God has something better from, better for you in salvation. He wants to take you from disaster to destiny. You've probably seen how lots of Roman helmets have uh, quite epic parts to them as well. So they might have the sort of brush thing going on. I remember I had to make one of these from an Ikea box and, a, and just like a household brush one time. It was wonderful. You've missed out. Um, but it didn't quite capture the essence of the helmet. And they have things like crests on them and all sorts of impressive like elements. They're made from different metals and stuff. And the reason for that is because the helmet is not just about protection. It's also about status. It's a symbol of who the person is as like an emperor or a leader in the Roman army or something. And that's true of this item that God wants to give his people as well. That salvation isn't just like a fix, it's also a status. God takes us from slavery, not just to freedom, but to being children. Isn't that amazing? He takes us from death, not just to life, but to a new life that's remade and better than the old. When someone is rescued, what you'd hope is that they go on to to do a few different things. First, you hope they'd go on to be quite thankful when they're rescued. I I would be if I was saved. Uh, They also might go on to take action to protect themselves from whatever the thing was. If you fell off the pier or something, next time you go to the pier, you'd hope you'd do something slightly wiser than walking along the banister or something, right? You'd do something different. And the other thing that often people do is that they help other people in a similar situation. Often when people struggle with an illness, they start to raise money for that cause. Have you noticed this thing where people are inspired to help other people? And the same thing is true of this destiny that God gives to his people in salvation. When we're rescued by Jesus, when he sets us free from the things that that we were held by, then one we're, one we're really thankful, I think, that's a natural response. 
just to say thank you, Lord. It's so kind of you. But then also we take action. We do things to avoid being in the same situation again, to avoid being captured or trapped by the same things that held us before. And then the other thing is that we might naturally want to help other people as well to say, oh my goodness, can you believe how gracious and amazing this faithful God is who even saves his enemies? You've got to know about him. He'll do the same thing for you as well. And that totally transforms our lives. And I think it makes salvation not just something that we need, but something that we might want. I want to live a life like that, that's thankful and wise and and helpful. Okay, so uh, we've heard why we might need it. Uh, We've heard why we might want it. The final just thought is like, how do we find salvation? How do we experience it? After that sort of section in the story that I told you before with Moses and the thing and, you know, etc., then uh, Moses dies, their leader, and they're given a new leader. And uh, this guy is amazing. He's such a perfect choice for a leader. And his name is even really fitting. He's called Joshua. And uh, Joshua means God saves effectively, or God is salvation. It's a perfect name for somebody who leads the people as they've been brought out and rescued by God. But there's an even more famous person in the Bible who has the same name as Joshua. Can you think of him? It's Jesus. Yeah, did you know that? It's the same name, but in a different language. Jesus is, is, the, is the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. He's the one ultimately who brings us out of slavery and into a new life from disaster to destiny. At the end of the day, we can't find it on ourselves, on our own. If anything, we're probably the problem. But every evil, every sickness, every sin, every bit of brokenness can be healed and transformed by Jesus, regardless of whether it's something we need. It might be something that we want, that we're hungry for it. Every life can be filled with purpose and power and hope in Jesus. That's how ultimately we receive salvation, just by asking him. So what we're going to do, as we always do, is just uh, take a moment. I'll pray and just ask God's spirit to come. And you might like to, just as a sign of openness, just hold your hands out in front of you. You don't have to. There's nothing sort of magic in it particularly. Uh, But just it's like saying, yeah, Lord, I'm open to receiving either for the first time or for the hundredth time your salvation. So come, Holy Spirit. Fill every person here with your power. And we pray for any of us who are in slavery to something, as small or big, we pray, Lord, that you would set us free and make us more and more like your children. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just take a moment just to wait. Come, Holy Spirit.
And just in case there's anybody who you're thinking, this would be a first time. I don't think I've ever been a Christian before. I'm just going to pray a really simple prayer off the top of my head. And you might like to just echo it in your heart. Just to say, actually, yeah, I want to live this life that's saved by Jesus and transformed by thankfulness and goodness. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me to make a way for me to live with you forever. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that kept me in slavery. Thank you for your forgiveness. Fill me with your spirit now.